Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome back to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. And I have Bethany here with me. She's actually coming to you live from somewhere within the borders of the UK. Bethany, great to have you back on the Back to Jerusalem podcast. I need you on this podcast. (laughs) I am looking forward to it. (laughs) Because this podcast is one that I tried, I attempted to do by myself. But as I was doing it, I really felt that I was going really maybe a little bit too hard um, towards, you know, the need for men in ministry. And I know that there's a need for women in ministry as well, right? I mean, I've written about this in the six lies that I tell at mission conferences, and I talked about the need for men. And so I've already kind of laid this out before. So you already know my argument, at least a little bit, I think, because you've seen what I've written when it comes to the six lies, right? You've seen that. Yes, and I think you you also did a day on it in Chase and Revival. I can't, was it in the Rome chapter? Maybe, yeah, you might be right. This is something that I kind of feel a little bit alone on. I don't hear a lot of ministries or minister, ministers talking about this. And I, I want to kind of do a special podcast just on the need for men. Because as I look around in ministries, I continue to look around at churches, I continue to see an overwhelming majority of a church made up of women, oftentimes single mothers. I don't know what that's about, but I continue to see that. And um, one of the things that I, I kind of am reminded with is that uh, in the last couple of months, especially with the, the Olympics are now over, during the time of the, the Olympics, we saw men competing in women's sports and this idea of being gender fluid and that, you know, that gender is a social construct, this idea which is being pushed. It, it seems ridiculous, at least from my side, it seems ridiculous from the onset that that the idea of gender is a social construct because it simply isn't. There are biological differences. There are physical differences. I mean, any child can look at a picture of the anatomy of a man and a woman and say, there's a difference there. Uh, and, and to say otherwise is, is, is lying to yourself, but that's what we are doing as a society. We are lying to ourselves. One of the things that I shared at a business as mission meeting that we did in Dubai earlier this month, both you and I were there, as I showed people the uh, the Chinese characters that point to the, the book of Genesis and tell the story of Genesis. And one of those characters that I write is probably one of the most used Chinese characters in all of the Chinese alphabet, if you can say alphabet for the Chinese language. And that is how, which it means good. And what is, what is interesting about that character is that this Chinese character is made up of two other Chinese characters. It's a combination of two characters together. And that is the character for man and the character for woman. And when you bring those together, when you bring man and woman together, that is the character for good. 
and and that relates, I think, perfectly with Genesis, where the Bible says that God made man and woman and saw that it was good. And um, I wrote an article. Um, I'm going to I'm going to give you some time here to jump into a conversation here in a minute, but I want to just cover this article really quick that we put up on Back to Jerusalem. It was a um, I, I started it off with a direct quote that says. Times have changed. Men and women are the same. And uh, that might sound like it's the beginning of a speech from the European Parliament or Harvard University in 2021, but it's not. This is a direct quote from the 1950s from Mao Zedong. And Mao Zedong, um, when he came to power and he pushed for the communist revolution, one of the things that he pushed for very strongly was the equality of women. And it wasn't just the equality of women. He said, and it was a part of the communist atheist evolutional agenda, which is saying that, that um, specifically gender is a social construct that was created by the male patriarch um, so that males could control women. And um, in the 1950s, in the 1960s, they had what was called the Cultural Revolution, where Mao Zedong and the Chinese Communist Party began to go through all throughout China and basically remove everything that had to do with gender identity, with, with sex. And so women were no longer allowed to wear high heels. They no, were no longer to wear dresses. They were no longer allowed to wear makeup. They had to cut their hair. They had to do all the same jobs. And so women were put into the same factory jobs as men were. They were put on the battlefronts as the same as men were. They were put in. So all of these ideas of men and women and their roles were completely erased and and destroyed and uh, this idea that women are the exact same as men was adopted by all of china and as i pointed what out what was the aim in that uh, well the aim i you know i don't know what the main aim was but i i do know the initial aim was one in which the rest of society kind of got behind and christians got behind i mean this whole idea that women are equal to men Right. I, I, I agree with that if we're talking about value, human value. And in some ways, I may not completely agree with it because I would say that in some ways, women are more valuable in the way that men should give their lives for women because and children because of their value. And uh, in in the Chinese society, there was an, there was a lack of value for women, and so the Communist Party, when it came to power, really did highlight a a big problem in society that was a real problem, and that was women had no choice about who they married. They were they were sold kind of like cattle. Um, they were forced to do really strange, barbaric things for the excitement of men, like bound feet. And bound feet was a very barbaric, cruel practice. For young girls, they would have their feet like strapped. Have you ever seen pictures of like the bound yeah, feet? I have. Yeah, it's it's gross. And uh, I mean, if you see them like when they unwrap their feet, you're talking about like it's even as an adult, it's like their feet don't get used to it. The women, even as adults, have to keep their feet bound. And so inside of that wrapping, which is without oxygen, without without air, so it's, it's not getting regular air there. So when they unwrap it, you're talking about smelly, pussy, mushy skin um, that is kept in that bound. And, and women could barely walk. 
So they were basically walking on stubs. And if women that did not bound their feet and they were from a, a, a more respectable family, the husband, uh, mother, the mother-in-law for the bride-to-be would inspect the feet. And if the, her feet were not bound, um, the mother would not allow the marriage to go through. And so this was, you know, th these kind of practices on women were just really tough. Then the emperor had concubines. He had like, you know, a thousand concubines where he would just bring in women at his pleasure. And, um, and, and these women basically served one goal, which is to not just pleasure the emperor, but also to provide offspring for the emperor. Um, so, I mean, this was the initial reasoning for um, this making all things equal to get rid of this idea of the of the bourgeoisie, which were mm -hmm. controlling the proletariat, the 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 different classes, the one percenters that controlled everything, and then the rising up of the 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 rest of the oppressed, the oppressed class, and a part of that oppressed class was were women, um, and so this was the main reason why. The, the Chinese Communist Party right. really pushed hard for women to, and I didn't cover that in the article, but it, it what happened was, is this like overcorrection in one way, but in another way, I feel that it was a correction without biblical thinking. And whenever you try to reach a mark, which is a mark, I believe that is one that is of justice, one that is right, one that is righteous, if you try to accomplish that goal, no matter how you know uh, righteous it is, no matter how honorable it is, no matter how much justice you think it will bring, if you try to accomplish that goal without Christ, you will actually do the exact opposite. And that's what Mao did. That's what the Communist Party did. They did the exact opposite. In trying to bring women to the equal level with men in like and I don't want to say equal, that's really bad, but more of like gender, uh, removing the idea of gender roles, um, ones in which we see in the Bible, removing those completely led to disaster for women. And women were, uh, I mean, they died by the millions, men died by the millions, children died by the millions. Um, once men were kind of moved out of the way and women were given this this other role, then it gave like this evil an unresisted path forward to basically wreak havoc on the Chinese community. And I mean, more people died in China during that time of the Cultural Revolution than in any other disaster or human event in history. And so, I mean, we've already seen this happen before, and I kind of feel like we're seeing this again, where masculine identity, feminine identity are being removed. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's not just removed. In some ways, I kind of feel like women are being elevated to, to be encouraged to be more masculine, and men are being encouraged to be more feminine. And that there lies the danger, I feel. And... I think whenever you do anything out of a, when, you're re, when your approach is coming from a place of anger, because that's what's happening right now, is the, the way that we are trying to, I'm not going to say we, the way that society is trying to push women into this place that you're talking about is coming from a place of anger and it's almost like in a, a place of revenge, right? That there's this feeling of like, 
a desire for revenge to for men to experience the kind of oppression that women feel that they have experienced for however long and so when you come at it from a place of anger and you feel that you have the ability to bring a sense of morality within your own natural ability as a man as you're saying without god you're going to end up way off the path because how can anybody ever say that this is right and this is wrong that's a whole entire different conversation but this fight for it's not for equality and i even struggle with the idea of equality because i mean are we talking about equal opportunity sure but men and women are so different and so wonderfully different i don't know that equality is even a helpful word to use it's probably a different word or phrase i should have thought of before this um but when we're fighting to have not just equality but women are fighting to be above men then you end up with a complete reverse of the same process happening the other way around yeah i mean i completely agree because men and women are different and when you ignore those differences um, I think that you set yourself up as China did for disaster, but I believe that there's a reason there's an agenda behind this. I, I really do. I don't think that this is just merely the result. I think that the, the idea, I completely agree with what you just said. When, when we see injustice, when we see women being treated unfairly, when we, be, when we see anybody treated unfairly, I think that there is a desire to react um, that, would, that would like to see perpetrator and anybody associated with perpetrators to be um, punished. I mean, that's what we saw with the Black Lives Matter thing, right? That's exactly, I mean, that's exactly what comes to mind is this idea that not only do you want to see equality in the races, but there's so much anger. You're coming at this with so much anger that your organization is based on the idea of, of exalting one race above another, which is racism. You want to start making decisions based on racism. You want policies to be made based on racism. And, and Black Lives Matter is a great example because it's not just about racism. It's about sexism. So in Black Lives Matter, if you go now, they've changed their page. So um, it, I pointed this out quite a bit in 2020 and 2019. But on, in Black Lives Matter, all the way up until 2020, their homepage about her story, right? Because they, they felt they felt it was wrong to even say history. The word mm -hmm. history somehow related to his story. And so they made it her story. And so her, the, the herstory page of Black Lives Matter talked about male patriarchy and how men were not needed. They were not needed in the home. Patriarchy had set up a patriarchal system, even in the families, that fathers were not needed in the home. And this is exactly what happened in China, by the way. Once men were pushed out of China, what happened was the, the state came in and became the father for families and children were being raised by communities. Children, when I say they were being raised by communities, not only were they being, you know, right and wrong and moral and all of those things being being implemented by communities, but they were even being fed by communities. So it was important in communist China in the 1960s and 70s that families or not even families like individuals and children and people would all eat together in a commune. So they, they, their houses, they would leave their homes. They didn't have their the kitchens. They had community kitchens and they would just go into the community kitchens and eat in the community kitchens. And that 
that kind of took away the role of the mother and the role of the father. And by removing the role of the father, and this is something that I wanted to be, I wanted to share, by removing the role of the father, which is what Black Lives Matter petitions. Uh, Black Lives Matter, for those of you that don't know, for those of you that are listening to this podcast that don't know what I'm saying, you can go and look up. This is not conspiratorial. This is not a theory that I kind of, you know, brought up in, in some back cave somewhere. This was their writing specifically targeting male patriarchy. They wanted to remove fathers from homes. They, they believe that families do not need fathers, children do not need male uh, role models, and China was the exact same. China believed that um, the Chinese community did not need males to be role models, that everybody was an equal role model. And once they removed the father from the home, it was game on. Like the, the Communist Party was able to just go in and rape and pillage all the families inside of China. And I use that term rape and pillage, not just to be descriptive, but it was literally happening in families throughout China. Uh, women were being raped. They, they were uh, dying by the thousands. They were selling off their children. They were eating their children. Um, they were dying. Uh, they, they, there, was, there was so much misery. I've written quite a bit about the cultural revolution inside of China together with our underground house church leaders and write, wrote about their experiences and their experiences are horrendous. I mean, they are, they're really vivid reminders of what happens. I believe when fathers are removed from the, the, the families. You still there? Did I lose you? Sorry. I'll a second. Yeah, no, I'm, I can hear you now. Okay, great. Yeah, so I was just saying that that in China, men were being removed from families, and that's very much what Black Lives Matter wanted to do. Black Lives Matter was founded by three lesbian women that were almost on this anti-penis embargo, and they wanted to completely remove all fam or all fathers from families, and they want to remove the differences. And men have been told, I think recently more so than ever in my lifetime, that there are certain male ideas that are male characters, I should say, not ideas. There are certain characteristics that, it, that represents toxic masculinity. And this has mm -hmm. been a common term that has been used quite a bit. We've been, we've been seeing it not just in the news, not just in our entertainment, but also in marketing. So Gillette, which used to have the, 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 the saying that said, Gillette, the best a man can get, came out with the idea that, you know, masculinity is toxic. And there are certain concepts that are tied to that idea of competitiveness, ideas of aggression, um, ideas of anger. And when we talk about anger, by the way, um, I, I, and I would love to hear kind of your, your thoughts on this. I believe that these concepts, because you're competitive, right? You get angry, right? And you're not a male. Um, uh, do you associate those concepts or those characteristics only with men? Or do you think that they're greater in men? Do you think that they're equal in men and women? What What is your thought when... Because I do not think are, that they are only in men. Um, because as you say, those... <laughs> thanks for pointing that out. Those two things um, are in my personality for sure. But as you and I have talked about before, so for those that don't know, I grew up with two older brothers. 
Now, there's a part of me that is inherent, right? There is an inherent character. There's an inherent personality within me um, that is largely shaped by being a woman, but it's also individual. But um, had I grown up with, let's say, two sisters, I think I would have been far less competitive. Having two brothers definitely made me more competitive. So maybe, maybe that's to say that, yes, I think they potentially are greater in men. Or maybe they just... Maybe the outworking of them looks different. Yeah, that's good. Because the, the reason I bring that up is because aggression, competitiveness, these are two characteristics that are associated with men. You know, and, and, and with that being said, you know, in China, competition was made illegal. Um, it was illegal to compete. So, uh, for instance, Yao Ming, for those of our audience that are that are familiar with NBA, the the basketball sport in the United States, um, NBA, one of the big known NBA stars is Yao Ming. Yao Ming's mother and father were both basketball players for the Chinese national team and the Chinese government arranged for the two of them to get married. But before they got married, uh, Yao Ming's mother was uh, one of the red guards in charge of punishing and humiliating and beating her basketball coach for implementing into her the idea of the bourgeoisie to compete. So this idea, even for, for the, you know, the characteristic that's mostly associated with males is this competitiveness. And I think that with competitiveness, comes a certain idea that men are given. I believe that men and women are both made in the image of God, but we're given, we're both given certain attributes that make us perfected in what we are, you know, able to do. And I think that women were created perfectly by God with his characteristics to carry out the task that they were given. And I think that men were created in the image of God with certain characteristics that they inherited from him, just as women did. But those characteristics are special, they are unique, and they are made specifically for God's purpose in our lives. So when we suppress them, when we remove them, when when we cut them off from our personality or try to hide them, I believe that we're, we're no longer capable of doing what God has called us to do. And that's the precise purpose for the enemy to attack in this way. Let me just go back and ask, in, in your view, when it comes to competition or competitiveness, do you think that that's of God? Yes. How so? I think that there is something about competitiveness that makes men capable of doing what God has made man to do. And what is that? What I mean, there are certain things that if you look at men, at least in my mind, that men are just well suited for certain things, right? There is a muscular structure that comes more naturally to men because of the, the testosterone that is injected into our body naturally. So when you look at the male muscular structure, you see that men are just naturally suited for hard labor. They're suited for field work. They're suited for lifting. And when it comes to the idea of what the role that man plays for, uh, for a biblical role. So when we look at the biblical role, at least in my mind, so you can tell mm -hmm. me what you feel the biblical role is for men, but I believe that Biblically, men are called to be providers. 
It, it, the, the Bible actually says that Jesus says that the man that doesn't provide for his family is worse than an infidel. And oftentimes mm-hmm. when we think of provision, which is true, we think of food and in that idea. But I think that it goes further than food. I think that it goes for food. I think it goes for shelter. I think it goes for love. And I think it goes for protection. And when we have this competitiveness, what it does, I think, because it, it's there is a different level of competitiveness. We know this scientifically. We know that there's a different there's a different uh, level of competitiveness that naturally comes with the, te- the with uh, the hormone testosterone. Mm-hmm. So if you give women testosterone, we've seen this like in the in the Berlin Olympics, for instance, or whenever like if you as a female, if you were to compete in cycling and were taking testosterone, you would be disqualified from competing in the Olympics. Um, the more testosterone that men can take, the more competitive, the more kind of characteristics that we associate with toxic masculinity. Those that are listening can't see my air quotes that I'm throwing up right now. But the toxic, the toxic masculinity, the, the more hormone of testosterone that you inject, you get more of these attributes. Well, what do those, those attributes do? What does aggression do? What does competitiveness do? I believe that it leads us to be providers. It leads us to be competitive in providing more food. It's not just a matter of like, I need to till my land, but I need to till my land in a way where I can I can provide for my family. Not Maybe not just for my family, but for all those in our community that may not be able to provide for themselves. I need to be able to lift more so that I can provide more for my family, whether that's hay, whether that's heavy equipment, whether that's you know the yoke for oxen. Um, I need to be able to uh, do more physically, uh, whether that means you know working hard on the farm or protecting my family from uh, an animal or a person or an army or a unit or a group of people that might try to harm my family, harm my community, harm my neighbors. Um, so I, I think that I think that competitiveness helps us grow in our ability to provide. I think it makes us even strive. I know that this might sound strange, but I think that that competitiveness makes us strive in discoveries for how to plant better, how to make better, um, how you know it's almost innate in us. I mean, you might have seen it from your brothers. I don't know if you had the same desire or not, but. I grew up with two little boys and I, you know, at one time in my life, I used to be a little boy. And one of the first things that really brings you a lot of pleasure as a little boy is look, mom, like if you can make mom impressed with what you're doing, there is just something about that. That is so, that is the absolute, it's the most satisfying ever. And that I believe grows, it transfers over to where, um, you begin to do a lot of things in your life to impress women, to impress girls. It's kind of like just them being there makes you want to do more than what you would normally do. I think, for instance, that, you know, probably if you looked at the very first road that was built, um, you'll find behind that road was a man that was trying to provide food for his family to get food from point A to point B. If you look at the very first wheel, for instance, that was ever made, I believe you'll probably find a man that was trying to impress a woman in some way. I think you can even find the same if you look at the the real motives, if there was a way, if you could look at the real motives for the competitiveness that led for man to put a rocket on the moon. 
Does that make sense? Do you agree? No, it makes yeah, uh, yes, I, and I thought we would agree on that, and I think we both know that we agree on those things. Men and women are different. I think you're quite happy with the fact that you're a man. I'm very happy with the fact I'm a woman. Where I think maybe we digress a little bit from each other's perspective is when we transfer that into into ministry. So I, I just I want to know where your head head goes when it comes to. I think distinct differences within um, men and women in ministry. Yeah, I think that this is one of the reasons why I wanted you to be on here. One is to, you know, just belch out all this testosterone and, and throw masculinity down on the table, but to also have it a bit tempered with um, rational thought behavior and even pushing back a little bit. Now, this is where you and I are probably going to disagree and me and many of the listeners will probably disagree. And I might even disagree with myself. Uh So I'm about ready to go down a road that I don't even know where I stand completely. And, um, if we look at men in ministry, this is one of the main reasons why I wanted to do this podcast is I believe that men are needed more in ministry, more now than ever, because I believe that there are certain rules that men can do that women cannot. Um, and I just talked about invention, for instance. We need more ingenuity and inventiveness in ministry, and we simply cannot do it without men. I believe that women can be creative. Women are very creative, but I think that there's something about that competitive nature, about that desire to impress women, or you know, even if we don't acknowledge that it's about impressing women, there is that need in ministry that we lack. And because we lack it, we are losing. If we don't have men ingenuity and inventiveness in ministry, we lose the battle with the enemy. Um, let, me, let me just ask a question. Ingenuity is only coming from men? No. But let me let me just ask a question really quick, and, and uh, let, let's see where this goes for a second. When what's the last invention that you know of, or not last invention? What inventions? What world changing inventions were invented by women? <laughs> okay, hold on. There's a there's an entire legion of questions behind that one question because. I mean, I don't want to be that person, but there will have been things create that are attributed to have been created by men that were potentially created by women. Okay, Agreed. we have to acknowledge that in history. Agreed. And also that women did not have access to the kind of education or the materials to be able to create the things that were then later created. Agreed. So I don't even think that that, I don't know that we can answer that. I think we can. I'm sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, let me, because let me put it this way. If, um, if women were just as inventive, would they not have invented a way to be inventive, even if men didn't want them to be inventive? If women did not have access to education and saw a need for education, would they not have invented a way to have education, even though men would have tried to stop them from having an education? You don't invent things out of thin air. You invent things using the things that you have at your disposal. I disagree. <laughs> this is why I disagree. I believe that uh, necessity is the mother of all inventions. And you notice how I, I use the word mother. I mean, that is, 
Uh, that is that is a <laughs> maybe some recognition there. It's biological, um, <laughs> but they say that necessity is is the is the 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 necess- necessity is the mother of all inventions. That the reason why you invent it is not because you have the resources to do the invention. It's because you don't have what you need, and so you begin to creatively think what it is that you need. And I believe that is a part of provision. But how many how many times do you hear? men say they had this great idea but it kind of started sat around the dinner table with something that their wives said exactly men so I, impressing I don't think women the providing on. for women and see this is one of the reasons another reason why no, i think it's great that, no wait wait, wait 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 yeah, okay. no <laughs> so i'm saying that the initial idea the initial seed of ingenuity or creativity potentially came from the woman and maybe it was just carried out by the man true but isn't that true with all things? For instance, what country can you name in the world that was started by a woman? Yeah, right. That I will concede, but that's nothing to do with ingenuity. It doesn't? Because the, what I would say is that there are probably a lot of men who never even thought about conquering a nation. But they had a woman that was with them that said, I think you can do it. I think that you should do it. Mm-hmm. And maybe even a feeling that they would feel as they they would feel a bit um feel as if you were not good enough if you didn't do it and so therefore that that created an obsessiveness there is i think that's another male characteristic in the way that men can be obsessive over a singular idea and like a dog with a bone just not let it mm-hmm. go um and and so when it comes to inventions there is something that we, we have. A, we have a guy right now that, you know, very well from Holland. He and his wife um, are a part of the back to Jerusalem team. And that guy is married to a very clever, um, intelligent individual. And by the way, I'm not saying any of this has to do with intelligence at all. Yeah. Uh, I if, know. if, if you put my wife and I in a classroom together, she will, she will far outdo me every time when it comes to education. Um, and when it comes to like receiving information, understanding the information on the first go around, like I would probably need to read it more. I would need to listen again. I would have to hit repeat and replay and study. Whereas she would get it right the first time, you know, just in a, a very um, condensed version given to her. She would just pick but that's it up not necessarily it. a male female thing. No, it's not. But what I'm saying is that this doesn't have to do with intelligence. This doesn't have to. Right. This doesn't even have to do with receiving information. And so, the guy that we have from Holland that is able to do a lot of the inventions that we use today, um, he is constantly in his shop. He calls it his shop. Where, if it comes to communication, his wife is probably the better, or she is. I'll just put it out there. She's the better communicator. His wife is the better communicator. Um, in fact, I believe that he might even have like a a stutter in his speech when he speaks. Um, she's probably a little bit more of the intellectual. I know that she's the one that does, you know, she does some writing for back to Jerusalem. So I know that when she writes, there is a depth to her writing, to her thinking process. Mm -hmm. And yet it is still her husband that is out there day in, day out, Testing, trying, failing, trying again, trying again until he does a breakthrough with a new item like our uh, pill Bible. So our pill Bible was invented by 
a man that we needed this on the field, um, it, like in North Korea, that that hologram Bible that we use was invented by this guy. His wife has the intelligence, but there's just something about the innate characteristic in her husband that drives him obsessively. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I this. think that's the difference. I think that's that's my sticking point. Is <clears throat> so okay? I I think there is something in women that is. Even when we're talking about like growing a child, there is something in women <clears throat> naturally. There is something creative within women. There is something that that I think has the desire to create. It may be that when we're looking at inventions, it may be that when we're looking at um, the example that you just gave with those and um, that work with those in B to J, that maybe the men have the the drive and the comp or the competitiveness to pursue that idea and to and maybe kind of break through those boundaries that, that would stop them from creating a totally new idea or implementing a totally new idea. But I think that so much of the creativeness comes from women. It just may be that men have the, the competitiveness to do something with that. And I mean, I would argue, doesn't this actually complement our roles? Like, like a man yeah, by himself. Yeah, saying that men have more ingenuity than women. Yeah, well, a man by himself, in some ways, lacks you know a lot to be able to do inventiveness. A woman by herself lacks what is needed to be inventive. But together, there right. is something there that is key. That is because I I have to go back to provision. I believe that there's something about the desire to provide by men. And I believe that that is something that is holy in us that pushes um, to invent, that pushes to discover, that pushes to imagine, that pushes to risk. I I'll, I'll give you one example. I didn't even think about this before it happened. But when it happened, I was just surprised. When we did our hackers conference, our very first one. And we did a we did a call across the board, around the world. We only got men that applied. Now, there's equal opportunity. There's more women uh, go to college than men. More women complete college than men. Um, there, there, there's not a, a division on what women are allowed to do. And, and we never said, hey, we're only going to advertise by men. In fact, if you go to our website back, or I'm sorry, our, our social media, uh, Facebook, uh, on on Facebook, on Facebook, I can actually look at the demographics both of Facebook and Instagram. On both Facebook and Instagram, in every age group, we have more women followers than we have male followers. Now, I don't know what that you know breaks down to be for our podcast or for our website, but at least on social media, we have more women followers than we do male followers. And we, yeah. Now we did get women later, and uh, that that applied at a later time, and and we had actually one woman who attended our last hackers conference, and she's become a great friend. I've been really excited about her. She's been able to do things, or potentially able to do things that we have never been able to do before. But there was just a natural gravitation that happened instantly, without us even thinking about it, without us even trying, that appealed to males only. In the first I think there's a part of you that was trying that didn't realize you were trying. When you um, were 
promoing the Hackers Conference, and you do it now even when you're promoing this one, there is a way that you communicate that you know will um, will hit the mark in some way with with a certain type of male, right? No, I, I mean maybe maybe not purposefully, but I'll accept it if you say that I do that without knowing. Yeah, your way of communicating leans much more towards men than women. Okay, I'll I'll take that. Um, but but does that then if if I put that it doesn't out there explain on, it totally. Yeah, no, if it I doesn't. put it out there on social media, then you you don't get my way of communicating. You get a you get a an image, a photo, um, a graphic. And then you get a, a an article about it. Do you feel that the articles are also more male targeting? Mm, no, and e even if they were, I don't think that that's enough to explain why there was such a heavy male response over a female response. But you see that in universities, right? There are certain degrees, there are certain um, courses that you are always going to have a majority male and a majority female. I had I studied English, right? Not all, but most. I don't know, maybe seventy-five percent. I would say were female. Yeah, I mean, I think um, because uh, back to the what you just said about my way of communicating. If you are indeed right, you would think that at least our social media following would reflect that a little bit, but it doesn't. It reflects the opposite, where we have more female followers than male followers. But that one specific thing that had to do with, you know, inventions um, or hackers. It just, it appealed to men. Yeah, it was the hackers. I don't think it was the the inventive nature of it. Okay. I think it was the hackers nature of it. Well, uh, yeah. And I, and I could, you know, when we look at the idea of gender inequality um, or, you know, the idea of men and women being, the same when we look at careers, you just talked about careers. When we look at careers, yeah, we can look at the STEM fields, the, the, the science and technology and, and mathematics. We can look at those fields where males dominate and say, well, that's just because when men have had more exposure, they, the, those that have communicated have communicated more in the way that a male would communicate, um, those, those kind of things. But actually, when we look at other things as well, like the most deadliest jobs in the world, uh, men die. I'm going to, I'm going to pull this figure out of my butt. It's not real, but it's pretty close to being real. Uh, men are more likely nine times out of 10, uh, nine to one are going to die from dangerous jobs more so than, than women because they choose jobs that are more dangerous. Um, they also choose a lot more jobs that are illegal. Women are less likely to choose illegal jobs. Um, they're less likely to do things that are illegal. I mean, even today we have a lot of, you know, freedom for women, yet there's something in men that do things illegal that makes them wind up in prison. So prisons are overwhelmingly filled with males. And when I say overwhelmingly, it's something like less than 5% of prisons are made up of females. Um, so I, there, there's something there. And so when I talk about hackers, maybe you're right, just the idea of being a hacker, maybe the idea of doing something illegal um appeals more to males than females or even just rebellious and i resent that i, I resent the fact that men are more rebellious than women i wish that we had more women that sign up to the hackers conference and i wish we had i mean 
even if you look at our core team, right, at B2J, um, there is not an even, I mean, I kind of, even, so when I think about when we were together in Dubai, the team that was there was much more male than female within B2J. Wait a minute. I have, no, to, that's I have to disagree. Um, ha- in Dubai, that, that was the case. Okay. So me, Pastor Al, Dwayne, uh, Will. So there's three males. Uh, wh- who's another male for B2J? Uh, well, well uh, Tim. I count Tim. Okay, Tim. Yes, you can count Tim. So that's four. Stone. Who? Stone. Stone. That's five. Okay. Who else? Yeah, that's it, I think. Okay. Then we had um, Belinda. Me, Christy, Belinda. Christy. That's it. I think you're right. Okay. Yep. We had more more males. I feel like I'm surrounded by a lot of females. So... um, because I mean, we have Christy in the in in Canada, and she does share a role with her husband, but she really is probably the more active of the two in in some ways. Then we have you running the UK office, um, Stone for the South Korea office. Um, oh, we did not count Sergio for the Brazilian office. Oh, um, right. Uh, we have so yeah, you're right. Um, we we do have probably sixty forty. And our conversations, um, I, I think, lean more to male conversation. I would agree with that. My my wife prefers it that way. Yeah, what makes a male conversation a male conversation? Is that a social <laughs> construct? Right. Well, okay. So let's think about... <laughs> I'm going to get so much. Okay. This is just my opinion. Are you adequately representing women? I'm the worst person. I don't know why I'm here representing women. You know, I'm not a good representation. You know that. But if, if, if I think about churches, which we probably should get onto, and I think about men's meetings and women's meetings, right? Often churches will have this divide where they'll they'll kind of have a a men's night on a Wednesday or whatever, and then they have women's meetings however often. Those meetings, I can guarantee, will look completely different, entirely different, night and day. Good or bad? Uh, What do you mean? Do you think that they look different for good reasons or bad reasons? Um... Both. I And also, again, I'm the worst person ever, I think, I for this. I don't think that you are. I think that you are coming at this from a very rational place. And I think that you and I would both agree with the fact that if you have too many men in a meeting, you need to bring in some female voices. It just makes things better. Not for a men's meeting. I do. And I... And I'm, no. I'm not for a men's meeting. I'm saying like if like if you are leading an organization like Back to Jerusalem, yeah. uh, and you have too many men, I feel that you are you are missing something. Yeah. If you have too many female voices, um, and it, it, then I feel like you are missing something. Like I I think that there is that idea that back to that Chinese character of good that the the balance of male and female, the yin and yang of the sexes really does bring about a better perspective. I don't think man by himself is made in the image of God. 
I don't think woman by herself is made in the image of God. I think it takes both characteristics of what has been given to males and what has been given to females in order to most accurately represent the image of God that together. But Okay, and so if then the follow-on is that the the from what you just said that the fullness we can really get of the nature of God would be men and, and women together. Would that not then mean that in every area of church, if you had that, you would you would have the same thing. You would have the fullness of, not the fullness, that's terrible, but an understanding of the, the full nature of God if you had men and women in all areas of church. What do we mean by all areas? In, you don't think that. Because I don't think that, yes. And this is where I disagree with uh, even myself. I I disagree with myself on this. And and let me me just jump directly to what I'm talking about. I don't believe in women. I, I don't believe. I don't believe that the Bible allows me to embrace the idea of a female pastor. I believe okay. a co-pastor, maybe, but not a not a pastor. Now, oh come on, no, you're sitting on a gray line there. Okay, what okay. do you mean? Well, co-pastor? the reason I say that is because oftentimes men and women minister together. The pastor and his wife minister together, and there are pastors that are male that will say that you know I my my and they'll refer to their wife also as a pastor. My the pastor that I have, Bishop Anthony Williams, will refer to his wife as being a. a and, and by the way, Bishop Anthony Williams and I disagree strongly on this. Um, so even yes, my own mentor, say what, think, say what you think. Yeah. So my own mentor believes that, you know, women can be pastors. I do not. Um, I do not believe that the Bible teaches that I have gone around and tried to make the argument for it. I have to fall on the side of what I understand from my own understanding from the Bible, uh, that I just don't see that women can be pastors, um, and provide pastoralship over a church. Um, with that being said, I support and work together with um, and help churches grow in China that are run by women. I work with probably one of the most well-known female ministries in the world that is run by a woman. Um, I During the year 2020, the only church that we had in our neighborhood uh, in Sweden was had a female priest and I attended gladly. So I, I went against those, those beliefs. But if you ask me to, you know, what would I choose and what do I believe? I believe that men were the only ones that were called to be disciples of Christ that we see of the 12 that he, that were chosen. I, from the 12 uh, Levitical priests, um, from the, the tribes, um, only, uh, the the twelve tribes of Judah were, or sorry, the twelve tribes of of Israel were all represented by men. Um, the uh, all of the Levitical priests were male. Um, there was just no allowance for it at all, and I don't know why, and I can't explain it why. But that's the way it is, and that's the way that I follow. I do well, actually, I do have a reason, an idea in my head why, but I I would not say it's theologically soundproof. But how how much does it matter to you? That's a good question. Because if it, if it really mattered to you, you would not have gone to that church in Sweden for the amount of weeks that you did. I did because it was the, it was the only church available. It was more important for me to be in the presence of God 
than for certain formalities to be followed. But that's because you don't believe it to be crucially important. That's that's true. Or you would have found another church. I do not find it to be a salvation essential. That's why I work right. together with those that believe differently than me. That's why I still consider to be my father in the faith. Um, Bishop Anthony Williams, he was my mentor. He was, you know, the person he still, he and, you know, first lady, which is what we call her, um, call me their son, their, their spiritual son. Um, and, uh, they would disagree with me heavily on this. And we have, we've had openly, you know, I was in charge of teaching Sunday school at our church for the adults, not Sunday school for children, but Sunday school for the adults. So I taught adult Sunday school, uh, which was like the more in-depth, deep diving into the word before we went into the Sunday service. And um, and I taught about this. I would love to see you teach a kid Sunday school. <laughs> that would be such a disaster. I would love that. <laughs> I think it. I think it really would be. I think, but uh, let me let me throw something out there and see if you agree with this or not. Um, but I believe that women have a very strong role at the moment that is not being fulfilled. And that is to encourage men to follow God. I believe I've seen a lot of encouragement from around the globe, uh, from, from men and women encouraging women to follow God, but not a lot of encouragement coming from women towards men to follow God. Um, what? <laughs> no. You don't where, say the same thing. No, no. no. Where, where are you getting any of that from? I feel like it, there's a silence. There are crickets. There is a lack of uh, this feeling of, of women wanting more men to join the church or have men to follow. Where are in the, the men who want women to join the church? I believe that there are a lot of uh, messages that are given, like on Mother's Day. There are books that are, you know, given uh, about, you know, women that are to, um, you know, fulfill their role in the church. Mm -hmm. I believe that there's a secular impact. I believe that there's a secular impact on the church that that is following along what we see like in universities, what we see in workplaces, what we see. Maybe I feel it a little bit more because, you know, right now as an organization at Back to Jerusalem, we have a very strong my wife. My wife, thankfully, has been pushing back against this a little bit. There's been a very strong push on Back to Jerusalem to have a woman on the board. Of back to Jerusalem, and we would love that if it takes place organically. But we're not <laughs> doing it. We're, like we don't want to qualify someone to be on the board for B to J just because they have a vagina, right? So it's not just you know you don't just get on just because you know you fit a certain role, whether that role be racial or or um, uh, I can't say sexual, right? <laughs> whether it's, <laughs> whether it's gender. Genderical, genderical. That's not a word, right? <laughs> Whatever. Um, you know, we we just don't feel like that is a qualification for you to yeah. be on the board, and that that push comes very strongly from you know I believe from the secular side. So my son, for instance, right now, both my boys are in university, and we know, we know, we know that they would have gotten a lot more uh, just because at least my youngest son went to the STEM the, the STEM area, so he's doing engineering. Um, if he would have been a female studying engineering at the same university, 
the amount of money that he would have gotten would have been insane. My son right now, who is applying uh, to be an officer in the Marine Corps, they would have been begging him to join the Marines as an officer had he been a female. But because that both of them are male, the amount of competition that they have to go through is absolutely insane. I tell them just suck it up and do it anyway. It doesn't matter. But I feel that that secular side is impacting the uh, ministry side as well. And I feel it directly being involved in the leadership of a worldwide ministry. That's um, where I, I don't feel think it's coming anything from. to do secular influence personally i think that the desire for potentially a female voice on the board is what you actually agree with I do. which is that to have male and female brings a much better balance and you get a perspective that you would not have if you only had um, a male board so in one sense you are probably missing a perspective by not having women on the board i also completely agree that you can't put somebody on the board just to fill that gap it has to happen organically but i don't think it's anything to do with secular influence in that example i think it's purely to get a, a better perspective on the decisions that are made agreed everything that you said is completely true which is why my wife is at every one of the board meetings so she's not a voting member but she has a voice um, which I, I is not the same. And I completely agree. There is a need for a female voice on the board. And we're, we pray that God will bring that. Um, you know, that is something that I feel that we need. But it's not something that we will do based on gender and say, okay, well, you're would a female. You consider you're a Christian. A female on the board would then be in a position of authority. Yes. Would you have an issue with that? No. I don't have an issue with female CEOs. I don't have a. I don't have a uh, an issue with female presidents. Minister. I would actually trade our male president right now for your female queen. I would take your female queen <laughs> over our president to become the next American president in a freaking heartbeat. Um. So it, no, so, we're talking about ministry. But when it comes to ministry. Then it's different. But this is ministry. Um, yes, but there's something about being a pastor that is different than being on the board. When we are a okay, part so of a board, authority okay. position, it's being a pastor. Yes. Right. What's making that so different for you? That in some ways the pastor is basically a shepherd. And okay. the, 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 the pastor, in his shepherding, the church is almost like a, a home in the way that there are not children. I wouldn't call them children, but in that pastoralship, there is a type of father-like role. And, and I'm only explaining my own ideas here, however wrong you might think they are or anybody else listening to this podcast, which is different than someone who is on the board for a ministry or a mission organization. Where I believe that God has called man to lead his home, that I do not believe he will reverse that role for the church. I don't know that I have a strong opinion on the men and women pastor thing. I don't know if I agree with you or disagree on that. I don't think that we disagree very much when it comes to 
men and women in ministry, I think your only push is when it comes to pastors. I don't know that it's ministry for you. That, that's true. Yeah, ministry is probably not the right word. I, I think that if we narrow it down, it is more of that pastoral role, which is different. Than, it's being the head of the church, right? Yes. And Christ is head of the church. And right. so I, but I believe in that, um, in, in that role, if we are to look at it almost like a pyramid, Christ is head of the church, but man then represents Christ for the, the, the home, for the, for the, for the father, the mother, the children kind of thing. We, we see that role played out quite often where, uh, God is the father, where Christ is the groom. Um, we, we notice how we never see Jesus as the bride. I don't think that's by coincidence. I don't think that that's for power of illustration or story. Um, I think that there's something there that is innate in men and women that connect to the idea of Jesus being the groom and us being the bride. Um, and to reverse that where you have the, the pastor of a church leading a flock um, to be a woman and the husband to be in support of that is in my eyes to be a direct reversal, fully acknowledging that in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh, fully acknowledging that you have the, the Debras and the very first evangelists being the, the women who are coming from the tomb, fully acknowledging um, that, you know, what I'm saying, I'm I'm willing to go against my own self, but also none of this really works outside of a Western church model, though either does it? Because to say that you have a a um, shepherd over a flock, which would we assume to be one person who is the pastor over a church of whatever number, when you start taking that away from a Western context, which you know very well, does that work quite as well when you're in house churches or you're in a different model to the Western church? Yes. And I would say it even works well in non-Christian settings. Um, notice that nobody is trying to compel Muslims to have their males step down and allow more women imams. It doesn't exist. Notice that even in Tibet, women cannot be lamas or the Dalai Lama cannot be a woman. Notice that among the Hindus and the Buddhists and the Muslims, and even with communism itself, that Mao Zedong was trying to claim that all men and women are equal, yet all of his top officers were male and women were still the only women that were allowed to wear makeup and dress up were those that were brought in as his private troop to personally please him. Yeah. And I look at all those examples and go, let's not do that. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that the enemy allows this structure to take place, the, the structure where the male holds the stronghold in order for him to do the attack, but he cannot take away from the house that it has watchmen 
on guard. So in many ways, this whole attempt in Western society and among the communists and among everybody that is trying to make males more feminine, I believe is the enemy's attack to try to make males to walk away from their their role as being a provider. And one of those provisional roles is to protect. And if you can convince the Christian man to step down, if you can convince men within Christian society that they need to become more feminine, if you can convince them that their characteristics that were inherited by God, even that which is of anger, like when we think of anger, we think of you know men being very destructive in their anger. But I would argue that that is someone that is led by the enemy, someone like a Fidel Castro, like a... Um, Kim Jong-il, like a, um, a, a Hitler. Uh, individuals that are the most destructive are usually men. And the people that can stop those men are usually men. Right now, let me ask this. Where are all the men in Afghanistan? Because the men that are evil are having a completely open field right now. Where are the men in, in North Korea? Because the men that are evil have a completely open field right now in North Korea. When godly men step down from that rule, which I believe anger is also part of, not, not spontaneous anger, not emotionally driven anger, but disciplined uh, anger that is, that is combined with strength, that is also combined with discipline. Discipline is so key for the Christian man. But that anger and that strength, I believe, is supposed to be unleashed on those carrying out evil. And when you take that characteristic from the man that God has called to step down, you basically open the door for the, the wolves to attack the sheep, while the, for whatever reason, the sheepdogs have been convinced that their desire to protect the sheep is wrong. Their desire to protect the sheep is a part of social construct. It, right. it, it is not, it is something that needs to be suppressed. It is something that needs to be oppressed. It needs to be, it needs to be de-educated. I mean, this is one of the main reasons in China we had what was called re-education camps. These re-education camps were to retrain people and re-socialize them because they believed that all of these things were a social construct. I'm doing this podcast right now from, from Sweden. And this is probably one of the most egalitarian, egalitarian societies in the world today. This is a this is an area where men and women absolutely have all free rights to reach any role at any time by anyone. And yet, because of their freedom, when they've been given the freedom to choose, they choose to live life actually much different than what people would like them to do. There, there are much more men that are involved in mechanics and engineering and STEM. And there's a lot more women that are involved in nursing and things that have to do with, you know, caring for people. Um, not, not as involved as in IT as they would like. What I'm saying is that there are certain things that you have that are innate in you, especially uh -huh. if you're listening to this as a man, that are innate in you. And one of those being competitiveness, one of those being uh, anger, one of those uh, being disagreeableness. That's another thing that I believe that suppressing uh, um, the idea of toxic masculinity 
in today's society means to be more agreeable. And, and disagreeableness is often associated with males. But I would say that in a society where agreeableness is, is embraced too strongly, you get a lot of really bad, stupid ideas that are imposed on everybody because there are just not those individuals that are wanting to be, you, you called it out, I think pretty well earlier when you said being rebellious, there is a rebellious nature. In uh, man, when they feel like something is going wrong, that in that idea of provision, they rebel, they fight against. They're, they're like, no, you you can't go past this line, uh, and I'm going to fight you for it, and I'm going to disagree, and I'm going to I'm going to vocalize my disagreement. I mean, yeah, I think women vocalize disagreement. Uh, but when it comes to rebellion, I think there's a difference. I mean, you said that especially in men, there are innate characteristics. There are especially in women too. I think women have Agreed. equally strong um, innate characteristics from God. And this is what gets my back up so much. And it doesn't take that much. But when, when, when this conversation is happening from society when the world is saying that we need to eradicate these not just eradicate these gender norms but that women almost have to become above men now in retaliation it's and and, and to do that which makes no sense we have to almost become like men so we have to be aggressive right and we have to be all of these things that you're talking about it's so frustrating for me as a woman and someone who loves being a woman because you are completely ridding yourself of everything that God has put inside you, every incredible innate characteristic that he's put inside of you that men can never have and that is equally valued within the church and the body of Christ. And yes, it may look different whether you agree with male and, and women pastors, whatever your perspective is on that, but that men and women are equally valued and significant, which I know is what you're saying, within the church and the body of Christ and for us on the mission field and to eradicate that is to rid the body of Christ and to rid the world of something if you take that away from women completely agree and my whole point of this podcast is not to take away from women but it is to kind of allow for a bit of a diverse focus that allows us to also say hey men we need you too we need you in the church. We need you in leadership. We need your characteristics that God has given you and for you to embrace those, uh, for, for, for you to bring those under the discipline of biblical teaching, for you to use those to help, not to hurt, to protect, not to harm, for you to bring about the giftings that God has uniquely given to you, just as is uniquely given to everybody. But he's uniquely given to you. And, and some males don't reach that, that idealism, right, of what it means to be a male. So it, it, I, I'm not talking about a stereotypical idea that all of a sudden people need to show up at Hope Church wearing lumberjack shirts, carrying axes, wearing leather belts, you know, with, with tools hanging off of them. I'm not talking about fitting the world's or even our own idea of what it means to be masculine or what it means to be feminine, what you know, what you're talking about, but instead to embrace our own identity, even if that <clears throat> identity has cross pollinization. There are certain things about myself that I would consider and the world would probably consider to be more feminine that I embrace um, as a male. 
And I'm sure that there are certain masculine characteristics that you have innate in you that you embrace as a female, even though they are not a, they're, they're not socially acceptable in all circles. Right. Or am am I, I I think I'm right with you on that. (laughs) You're definitely right with me, but I don't know about you. Really? I do. I mean, you have never other than your movie choice watched me on movies uh, when it comes to, um, you know, the rom-com. Yeah, very the, feminine movie choices. I have but very in, feminine movie choices. Yeah, but in terms of your character, I don't think there's there's a very much that's feminine about you. Yeah, well, you haven't you haven't heard my family rag on the the clothing choices that I have. Um, you have not heard. I mean, for me to wear European clothing, I mean, so you're more European, so you don't get it as much. But when I first started wearing fitting clothing, clothing that actually fits, that looks like it was tailored. Um, you go to America and they're like, what are you gay now? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, I have a European perspective. I I have red pants that I, that I like to wear. They're, they're like bright red and they're capris. Like they, they only go up. I like, I don't know if it's like the, if it's like embedded in me from my, my forefathers or whatever that, you know, that wore the, what do you what do you call the the German pants that have the suspenders and they don't they're not they're longer than shorts but um, uh, I can't remember the the name for them but anyway whenever I wear capris especially when I'm hiking it's like my the best clothing ever for hiking and so they're, they're they go like right at my calves so they cover your knees they go right at your calves um, very popular of uh, common I would say in the UK and the rest of Europe not common at all in the US um, and so when I wear those like oh my gosh what are you wearing like you know Michaela Michaela mm-hmm. is mortified whenever she sees me wear those pants yeah but again that's nothing to do with your character Lederhosen that's the name Maybe it goes back to my desire for later hosen. Uh, but, but what I'm saying is, is that, you know, my, my sense of style, my sense of there, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a like a hopeless romantic inside of me that, you know, is so gooey and, and, yeah. and cheesy. It's like really cheesy. Like I, I, I smell the cheese as it's coming out, but I, I, it doesn't stop me. So in that way, there's just a lot of things that I do that are just not considered to be that masculine side. And, but I embrace it. And, and, and that's all I'm saying, um, that there are, there are times where we don't necessarily fit the rules that I think that yeah. we're supposed to fit. And that's okay. Um, but I, I do think that there are more men that are needed in the church. I think that there's more room that the church needs to give for men. I think that there's a feminization that has taken place with with the the people in the church that um, almost makes masculinity a little bit. I mean, even with our young boys. I mean, you've worked with young boys. Do you ever feel that it's sometimes harder to you know deal with? I, I know, like when my boys were young, they got kicked out of Sunday school all the time, and it wasn't just because they were being naughty. It was just because they couldn't learn in the setting of sitting down and listening you know, quietly. And there's girls that are like that as well, but that is definitely a little boy characteristic that is more common than with little girls. And in Asia, at least in, in certain parts of Asia, um, not always embraced. And in the West, not always embraced. I mean, I think maybe I, I didn't push back against that. So I was a youth leader for two years and I didn't, 
I didn't push back against that because of a agenda thing. I just, I didn't like the idea that the kids have to come in and, and sit down and, and, yeah. be, and behave and then leave. Right. Yeah. I love I love teenage rebellion. I think that that can be um, can be used in a really productive way. And I hate that we. Tr- it's a different conversation, but I hate that we try and stamp that out of young people in the church. Um, I hate that, and so I, I try to leave room for that. But I mean, <laughs> I, remember, I remember this one week. And parents were a little bit concerned because they were like, you know, my kid's coming home saying that when you finish youth, everybody's fighting each other. And, you know, (laughs) it's like play fighting. They weren't angry. But I grew up with two brothers, so that's how I show affection. (laughs) And so they're all kind of fighting with each other. And then I remember turning around one time and Matthew, he was like, I don't know, 11 or 12. And he picked up this younger kid and he threw him over a pool table and like he went into the wall and it kind of happened in slow motion. (laughs) Then he had to go to the hospital and the parents were mad. And I thought, okay, there was a line here that I missed. But did any of the girls do that? Well, no, they didn't. I suppose they did when they saw me doing it, but it all came from it all came from the boys. And I think it's healthy. I mean, I, I saw that you guys did, you know, things that were more male kind of entertainment as well. Like if I, if I'm not mistaken, I think you guys had like Nerf gun competitions. Yes. I mean, they don't do it now, but when I was there, yeah. Yeah. So you guys did Nerf gun competitions. Wrestling is just a natural part of growing up. I, 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 I didn't teach my boys to wrestle, but they wrestled, you know, mm. it, it actually in my house, um, when our boys were younger, I would not let them watch any movie or watch a cartoon that had guns or let them play with toy guns. Um, and my feeling when they were growing up is that they will have respect for guns and I won't, I won't. <clears throat> and I, I cringed at the idea of them watching violent shows or violent, even violence in cartoons. And um, <clears throat> so my idea was the first time that they'll ever have a gun will be a real one. And I'll teach them how to use a weapon and respect that weapon. Mm-hmm. Forget about it. I don't know where they picked it up. I don't know where they got it, but every stick that they got became a gun. And I'm like, what? Really? Like I did everything to kind of shield them, protect them. And there was just something there that they, but I will say, and, and you know me very well, yeah. but when I was, you know, like up until probably 12 or 13, I was a very, very, um, I don't know. What do you say? Stereotypical girl. You know, I, played dress up and I played with dolls and and I know it's an uncomfortable conversation to have these days but there you we cannot deny the innate differences in in male and female even from from or even maybe even more so in children yeah I'm one of my favorite books that I still recommend to people around the world one of the most formative books when child rearing was one that I read that was called bringing up boys um, and it, it's done by Dr. James Dobson is one of my heroes. Um, he wrote a phenomenal book and, and he doesn't just write it as a clergy member, right? He, he was, he was a pediatrician his entire life at one of the most, uh, well-known respected, um, hospitals in the world, university of California, Sandy or, uh, UCSD, no, not UCSD, um, University of Southern California Hospital. Um, so, no, not University of Southern California. Was it University of Southern, University of San Diego? Maybe that was it. Anyway, Southern California. So he was in Southern California, one of the major pediatrician um, uh, 
uh, doctors really at one of the most respected institutions in the world. And he laid out the chemical balance, that there is a chemical balance. Even before testosterone kicks in during puberty, there's a chemical balance different in the brain. He talks about the left brain and the right brain being better able to communicate with each side in the female than it is with the male, that there is a, there is a, 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 um, almost like a wall that keeps the two from communicating for young boys, which makes young girls tell themselves, if I jump off this roof, this is what will happen. Whereas a boy will say, if I jump off this roof, I wonder what will happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so there's this, you know, there's a, there's a, the ability to, um, you know, think longer term. There's a, there's an ability to communicate. There's an ability to, um, there, there's, there's just differences between both boys and girls. Now that's generally speaking, there are, um, uh, on the spectrum, young boys and young girls that go both ways. Yep. But, but the general rule, uh, according to our biological makeup is different. And, um, and, and I think that it's good that we embrace both, that we make room for both, that we celebrate both Mm -hmm. because I tell you who's not celebrating. And that's the whole point of this entire podcast. Who is not celebrating this is Satan. Satan needs men to step down from their guard post. He needs them to step down from their idea of being competitive. He needs that idea of anger to either be used for evil or not used at all. He needs men to, I I think that the idea of men being what God has called them to do, and this goes for women, of course, but because I'm specifically talking about men on this, um, when men become what God has called them to be, there's nobody more fearful than the enemy. And the enemy sounds his trumpets through us. And we begin to say words about why we are fearful of toxic masculinity. And we point to those that are not in the will of God, but point to those that are outside of the will of God as our example that everybody can agree on in order to remove those characteristics that I believe that, that women, if there are women listening to this podcast, I would implore you, beg you to please make a cry for more men to be involved in your church. It'll be good for the children. It'll be good for the leadership. It'll be good for the women. If more men are involved in the church, more men to be warriors for Christ. If you're a man listening to this, you need to know you have been created to be a warrior. God has called you to be a warrior. It, right now, we have Islam raping innocent women in Afghanistan, and we need godly men. Communism is going after children, not just in China, not just in Cuba, not just in in. in Uh, Laos or Cambodia or Vietnam, but they're coming for you even in Christian countries. And we need more godly men. We got Buddhism breaking into your home and taking uh, the ideas and concepts of what is right and wrong away from your family. And we need more godly men. So that's the point of this entire podcast. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, 
so thankful, Bethany, that you were willing to come on and just discuss this. I mean, this is a conversation. We didn't we didn't break out the Bible. We didn't go through different scripture. This is just two believers having a conversation, kind of going on what we have seen, what we believe, and why we believe it. And I know that some people can be sensitive to disagreements like this, and people have different ways of having these conversations. So, you know, you and I have always been this way where we can have an open conversation and open discussion and you know it's all in love and friendship amen and and i believe in a desire to discover truth yeah and i think oh (laughs) that's the truth yeah i neither of us have the have the full truth that's true and so we have even when we are presented with the truth by god himself I believe that our lives have enough lies to keep us from fully understanding the truth that God puts in front of us. And so what you and I do or what we attempt to do is to expose those lies, to expose those untruths with the desire of revealing the truth. And maybe with both male and female perspective, maybe that gets us nearer to it. I believe so. Thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. God bless.